Some of you know that several weeks ago, Danielle applied to the Christian Climate Observers Program, what's known as CCOP, and was accepted, and we're kind of thrown into this wonderfully um, exciting, but oh my goodness, what did we just sign up for kind of experience for the United Nations Climate Conference. Before we get too far into it, I want to reiterate what I've said, what I said at the beginning. Um, for those of you who are here or maybe listening to this on a podcast, whatever you believe or don't believe about climate change, and no matter who you trust or don't trust, that includes scientists, politicians, religious people, etc., we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome, and we're glad that you're here. Um, in virtually all of the conversations that we've had, we have tried to not push hard on this is the opinion you must, ha- must have in order for you to be a part of our community and be a part of the conversation. The entire posture that we have had and held for many years has been one of openness and education, uh, questions and curiosity, a desire to learn, um, and a uh, posture of listening to one another for the sake of mutual benefit. And so we want to do the same thing here. Um, the reason why participating in the climate conference and talking about climate change is important for us is because this is really about the central idea, which is love, uh, under the hashtag of gospel justice and creation care. And that has always been the driving impetus for the reason why we engage in all of these kinds of things. I think it was about two years ago that Pastor Omer and I gave a two-part series called The Green New Covenant, which uh, obviously was some sort of allusion to a cultural entity out of Deuteronomy. If you guys missed those talks, you can go back. I think it's about, I don't remember, it's 2019 now maybe, uh, when we gave those talks, um, which was our first kind of introduction to the topic of creation care and climate change, something that we've been uh, learning about along the way. Um, and that will give you more of a biblical and theological uh, context, I suppose, for a little bit of how we got here. Is there anything you wanted to say? This, this is where I was headed. And then, uh, Sure. So I would just add that those resources are found under the Gospel Justice page of our website. And then when you go there, you can see a variety of issues that Sparkers have been involved with, and like refugees and um, racial justice, etc. So you just click on Creation Care, and as you scroll down, you can find those talks from Pastor Omer and Pastor Kevin from a few years back. I thought um, we would just boil this down to three main things. If you want to go somewhere else, we can, of course. No, no, it's fine. But these are the three main things. What is climate change? What is COP26? And why does this matter? And the reason why I thought these three things is because what I'd like, hopefully is for all of you to be able to walk away from this very brief presentation with a better understanding of what it is that we um, did, what it is that the the world is participating in, and why it's important for for us. And then I've got a bunch of slides to show you some of the experience that we had there. Um, So very, very briefly, what is climate change? Climate change is the fact that the climate of our our global climate is changing in ways that are influenced by human activity. One of the main contentions in religious spaces is, and um, political spaces to say, well, climate always changes. And there's a distinction between weather and climate, weather, of course, changes on a regular basis, 
The climate is the general average uh, median of how weather patterns are shaped around the world. And ever since the late, um, mid to late 1800s, by the way, this is not a new thing. Um, scientists have observed that specifically the burning of fossil fuels and the emissions of uh, carbon dioxide into our atmosphere creates a greenhouse effect, a greenhouse effect that exists already. Um, in fact, our planet should be extremely cold, given our location in the solar system and all the other physics. But because of the greenhouse gases that are in our atmosphere, it allows our planet to be warm enough for water to exist rather than solid ice, and of course for life to appear. But because of human activity, and this is really important, this is the big technical word which is anthropogenic, it's because of human activity, specifically the burning of fossil fuels, but also deforestation, um, our practices in agriculture, these are kind of the three big uh, ones. Manufacturing is a big piece of that. We are actually changing the chemistry of the our world. The loss of nature and biodiversity and the environment paving over yep. the world, right? Yeah. We are changing the chemistry of our world. And that chemistry means that the world is actually getting warmer. Actually, back in the 1980s and 90s, the term that you heard, many of you know this, is global warming. That was the term that was used. But because of the political nature of things, and you, this is a whole other topic, um, Pundit, uh, political um, strategists suggested that politicians use the phrase climate change to decrease public awareness and public urgency. That was actually the, the purpose of changing the phrase global warming to climate change because climate change had a greater ambiguity to it that allowed the public to say, well, and this is the phrase that we always hear, climate is always changing. And so we're... Um, that's a whole other conversation about how we've gotten down this road to this far. Um, and, and I think I it's great that you mentioned that because I was just going to ask you to tell everybody how we got the term climate change, where it came from, and why we use that instead of global warming. Um, and so thank you for that. And I think the other challenge, of course, is that humanity, as we have as humans have developed over the course of thousands of years of history, we have fantastic responses to threats. So if you see a tiger coming in or a bear, you have an immediate response to try to go and survive. But when you change something to climate change and it's always changing, then it's a very slow moving, way far out there, somewhere else kind of threat. And our response from a social psychological perspective is not as immediate or urgent in terms of how we are um, becoming aware or responding to the crisis. Right, so That's exactly correct. Particularly where we live, um, that is not true in lots of places of the world where the climate urgency and the climate crisis is at the doorsteps of people on a daily basis. But we have been protected from that because of our privilege. Um, so anyway, sorry, yeah. I jumped into that, but I just wanted to like explain the strategy behind the shift and the changing of the words was actually because people know how we work as humans, and they are manipulating us, Be, and it's intentional. Um, so anyway, it, we can talk about that later. But. Well, in short, <laughs> if you want, um, this has been a very effective documentary that I've used for some people who are very skeptical about climate change. The uh, documentary is called Merchants of Doubt by Naomi Oreskes, 
And it's an incredible um, explanation of how the strategies of the tobacco companies and the sugar companies have been co-opted now by the fossil fuel industry to basically um, lull the public into thinking this is not as urgent as it needs to be. And so um, that's a whole other conversation. We need like an entire talk just to discuss that. Merchants of doubt would be the uh, place to go. So they, they know it's real. They know it's us. Like the globe is warming where the human activity is responsible for the warming of our climate. And they don't want to change their policies that are making or their practices that are making them lots and lots of money. And so they are trying to make sure you and I don't know about it. But what's happening, of course, is that we here in Northern California, we know about it because it's landed on our doorstep, right? There are every year now we have five seasons. We have the four we all grew up with, and now we have fire season. So we now are part of that community that is global that has been impacted by climate, the climate crisis. Yeah. Okay, so that's a very brief, extremely brief overview of what is climate change, and I hope that gives you some grounding. Again, if you have questions about this, you are very welcome to ask, and we hope to be as helpful as possible in the process. So that's number one. Number two, what is COP26 then? Pastor Danielle. <laughs> so, um, so the UN, the United Nations, knowing that this is a global problem and that it is most impacting countries that are um, smaller countries, low, small, low-lying islands, um, less developed countries globally, and they've known about this for a long time. The UN has started a conference in order called the Conference of the Parties. This is called the COP, the Conference of the Parties. And this is the 26th meeting of the Conference of the Parties, where, was it 290 nations from around the world come together and try to address the use of fossil fuels and the warming of our global climate and try to figure out policies that they will all agree to um, in order to shift what we're doing and, and try to find some justice involved. There's, there's a lot more involved. There's mitigation, there's adaptation, there's loss and damage conversations because primarily like the countries that are most impacted by climate change are the countries that are not the primary emitters. So the U.S. is one of the primary emitters of massive amounts of fossil fuels, and we are not the ones most impacted by climate change. So, uh, for example, Samoa, um, Tuvalu, Marshall Islands, uh, these are islands where, particularly Tuvalu and Marshall Islands, I mean, this is not a far-off threat. This is an immediate threat that they're experiencing on a regular basis, and we're looking at the entire, the potential loss of an entire culture and community and country in its place because of climate change. So when they come to these events, like Conference of the Parties, um, the hope is that those nations that are not the primary contributors to our crisis would be able to have the same equal stage with massive global superpowers and be able to say, this is what is happening to me, to my culture, to our country, and we need you to help us mitigate the effects of climate change. Otherwise, we'll, we don't have the economic engine in order to manage and deal with what we're dealing with. So we're going to come to the UN in order to try to find financial support 
or try to influence policy change. So the Conference of the Party has a, that, the UN Conference has a whole bunch of conversations that are happening. Those, that's a very brief overview. The last one I think that we all maybe paid attention to was Paris. And we maybe paid a lot of attention to it because Obama was president at the time. It was a big deal that there was the Paris Agreement. And it was to try to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees rather than the acceleration of 2 or 2.5 or 3 degrees that we were seeing on track. That Paris Agreement was hopeful and exciting in lots of ways. And then, of course, it also got a lot of press because um, President Trump then withdrew the U.S. from the Paris Agreement upon coming into office. So this was the first um, COP, the first UN conference where the U.S. is back in. President Biden, upon coming back in, coming being elected, and of course he's not been in office for a year yet, immediately re-entered the U.S. in the Paris Agreement. And um, the COPs in between, where President Trump removed us till now, the U.S. barely had a presence at the UN conference. Um, typically, there's a big booth or you know places, and there's a lot of people that are being sent um, to show up at these events. And for the years in between, our withdrawal to now, um, the U.S. was not present. So this time, there was um, a massive credibility gap that the United States needed to close in their presence on site. They had a much more robust presence within the pavilion hall. They had congressional representatives going, et cetera. Whereas in the previous administration, um, I think even they sent, it's a story I heard second, third hand, so it was like the, the U.S. had sent um, some people who were actually fossil fuel executives and were going to be arguing for clean coal. And um, that's not a thing. Um, and so in protest, other members, other members of the COP actually stood up and turned their backs and walked out on that U.S., uh, small U.S. presence that we had in years past. So the UN, the COP specifically is a climate conference for the United Nations to be able to bring countries from around the world together and try to tackle this process, this problem altogether. And there are a lot of contributors to the problem and there are not, there's not one easy solution um, out of the problem that we're in. And so there's a lot of innovation that happens. There's now a lot of conversation about, um, there's, there's a lot of businesses that show up there are observers from around the nation, from around the globe, that come and participate. Um, and there's Christians there. So that has been the case in years past, but the Christian Climate Observers Program is essentially a group of Christians that thought we shouldn't just show up and have climate tourism. That we shouldn't just go and say, I was there and I saw it happen or, or I went to the meeting. But instead, we should try to work together and try to serve as witnesses for our sisters and brothers around the globe who are most severely impacted by climate change and try to advocate for um, the care of creation. And this gets to the why does it matter? Um, because we are commanded to love God and love our neighbor. And it is not gospel good news justice if we are not caring for the fact that massive people groups who and, and human, individual humans and, and whole cultures and communities and indigenous groups are being wiped out. Um, the most marginalized, the most poor, they're being wiped out because of how we live. 
and we need to stop that because it's an issue of justice and it's an issue of the gospel, um, of whether or not we do really love God and love, love people. Yeah, if there's anything in this world that you care about, and I do mean anything, you should care about climate change. Because the problems and the challenges that we face, whether that's gender inequality, racial disparity, economic disparity, all of these things are exacerbated exponentially as a result of the changing climate. And the changing, it's, the, the thing about this is it's not just the changing of a climate, it's, in, it's a change of our entire ecosystem. Uh, you'll hear a lot of talk about the changing of the oceans, like the acidification um, and the fish. For example, Tuvalu, the, Soil. the, uh, the nation that Danielle mentioned that is literally sinking into the ocean now. Like when Al Gore did his old presentation, and it unfortunately you know, got highly politicized because he was a you know, Democratic, national, uh, Democratic presidential candidate, and so you know, it, it polarized, and there's all these unfortunate political realities that came around this. But when he talked about sea level rise happening, I mean, this is not something Al Gore said. These are something, this is something scientists have been saying for years. I have a, a, ran into a clip of Carl Sagan in 1985 testifying before Congress, talking about the greenhouse effect and what that's going to do to the melting of the ice caps, the melting of the, the sheets, and the elevation of the waters. And we've known about this for a long time. And knowing about it has not at all impacted our behavior. In fact, we've accelerated our uses of fossil fuels, of plastics, of methane, of coal, everything from the 90s. I mean, the massive acceleration of, we've made it much worse since the first COPs have been happening. I believe it was in uh, 1970 that there was one oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, if I'm doing this, if I'm saying this correctly. Now, there's almost 20,000 oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. So even though we've known about this, and we even had the opportunity to shift our energy towards uh, renewable energies, we haven't done it. And again, a lot of that has to do with the um, public campaign of the fossil fuel industries and the disparities of economic and political wealth and capital. All of these things have played into this. And so that's why I'm saying, like, if you care about your children, you care about your grandchildren, if you care about food, if you care about disparity, uh, if you care about anything, you, you should care about this because this ultimately really does affect everything that happens. It affects the fishing supply. It affects the nu- nutrients in your soil. It affects our children's air that they're breathing and the asthma that's being um, exacerbated now because of the fires in California. Nine million everything. people a year are dying from pollution. So if you care about your sisters and brothers right now, then you should care so. about air pollution, right? And, and you can't, I don't think it's okay, I'm going to quote the book of James, right? You can't just walk up and say to somebody, I'm sorry that you're hungry or you're thirsty, and like, but Jesus loves you and walk on, right? That is not good news. And you can't bring good news to people and say, but I'm really sorry that you can't breathe or you don't have clean water or you don't have a place to live because of flooding, um, or because of the massive hurricanes that are tearing through constantly, or the fires that are tearing through constantly. Um, Laura and I were talking just a few moments before in church, and we are handing out the really beautiful picture book that we're giving the kids, like Does Earth Feel? And it's this beautiful book. And Laura said, my kids love nature, right? They're talking about it all the time. Why is that? Because they're touching it 
They're looking at it. Like they go to the zoos. They're outside. They're playing and they're connected with it. The rest of us have been so sequestered from the earth, from the, just the very nature that we live in, that we've lost connection to how to simply care. Where kids don't need to be taught this. They have to, this love for nature. I remember as a kid sitting in a tree that my dad had to prune. And he explained like the branch was, you know, diseased. And if he hadn't cut it off, that the tree would be sick. But I felt like it had lost an arm. And I climbed up in the tree and sat in the tree and wept for like hours and told the tree it was going to be okay. And that my dad had put a band-aid on it and all these things. Like nobody taught me to do that. It was just... It's how human beings have been created by God to be connected with God's beautiful creation that cries out, that worship is God. Like when you read the Psalms, the creatures of the deep sing songs to the Lord. Like the, the trees, they wave their branches in praise. And all when we look at the whole end of Revelation, the heavens and the earth, heaven comes crashing down. Like we don't, we don't get hoovered up to some crazy other creation in the sky. This creation is redeemed. Uh, N.T. Wright says, Jesus is coming, plant a tree. So, like, there's work to be done. And I think when we talk about why we care about this, it is because we have been created to care about it, but something has been trained out of us. And right now, today, the climate activist that I was just with in Glasgow, in the Blue Zone, talking to from Kenya and from Somalia and from Nigeria and Ghana and Zimbabwe, particularly in Kenya and Somalia, they have, and Sudan, they have returned home to a massive drought that is displacing hundreds of thousands of people. Giraffes, if you care about giraffes, they are dying. The livestock and the wild animals that we all care about, they're, they're not going to they are now not there anymore. And it is as a direct result of fossil fuel and global warming. And the African nations that we met with, um, and in Marshall Islands and in Kenya, the Kenyan diplomat representative said, we cry when it rains and we cry when it doesn't rain. Because if it rains, we will be flooded out. And if it doesn't rain, we will die. But we always cry when it rains. It's not a source of life anymore. And when I went to the African churches conference um, and leaders of the African church were there and, and it's this beautiful collective, one of the African leaders, and I'm blanking on his name and I can give it to you, he said, this is not blah, blah, blah for us. COP26 is not blah, blah, blah which was Greta's frustration with the lack of action and it not being fast enough because she knows and the youth know um, how horrific the situation is. But she said it's not blah, he said it's not blah, blah, blah for us because this is the only place on the face of the earth where I can come and someone will listen to me. It's the only place where I can come and speak what is happening to my people, what is happening to my church. It's the only place where I can have the same stage as the world powers. And if we didn't have this conference, we'd have to create it because it's the only thing we have. He so says, it's not perfect, but it's all that I have. And so it means something to me. So even uh, the diplomat from the Marshall Islands for the Climate Action Tracker, and they held this beautiful press conference about how we are not on track to achieve any of the goals that we were saying we were on track, we wanted to achieve. 
she said, she was asked, um, do you think COP26 is a failure? And she said, no, it cannot be a failure because if it's a failure, then my country doesn't exist. This is my only option. So I think when we talk about why does it matter, it's because it matters very, very much for people who are already under severe devastation as a result of this crisis. It matters very, very much for our children here locally who cannot go out and play one to two months out of the year because of the air pollution. Who Stanford University has already said that the toxic wildfire smoke has changed the DNA of our children. That has already happened. That they will now be, for the rest of their lives, more prone to heart disease, lung disease, and cancers. That has already happened. Now, for those of us with privilege, we can bring our children inside and we can put air purifiers on and we can send them to schools that have, are, have the capacity to keep them in and the awareness to do so. But you and I both know that there are communities that we're all part of that are very local here that don't have that same privilege. And so we can't, I don't believe that we can really stand here and say that we have the great good news that is found in the, in the amazing truth of Jesus Christ if we're not willing to bring um, rescue and justice um, to our globe, to our global sisters and brothers, and to our local sisters and brothers who are already suffering now. And when I brought a stack of letters from my daughter's school um, to deliver to Jesse Young, who is the um, advisor to John Kerry, who's the climate envoy, um, these letters were from second graders and from middle schoolers. And the middle schoolers shared what it's been like for them for the last five years of not being able to go outside and play and do sports and the reality that they're living with. And some of them also fled those fires in Santa Rosa. My parents fled those fires in Santa Rosa and now have been under mandatory evacuation twice in the last five years. Um, I don't think we've really counted the cost of what's happening to the generation that's coming up, to their so social, psychological, um, impact of what, what they're growing up with in our world. And I'd like them at least to know that we understood that there was a challenge and we tried to do something about it. So, um, as you can tell, we could probably talk about this forever. So let, I'll just share with you a few highlights and some slides and then we'll take some questions. Uh, we'll most likely be, this will be a, a topic of conversation for us for for many, many years, because this is not going away anytime soon, and so we'll be engaged with this conversation for a while. Here's Danielle at the blue zone. There were two zones, there were blue zone and the uh, green zone. Phoebe and I were in the green zone at the Science Center as basically Glasgow's Exploratorium, so it was a lot of fun, and we got to do a lot of science experiments and see, uh, Phoebe got to sit in a bunch of electric cars and figure out how different meats are being grown uh, by plants and stuff, like all these different things that are happening. Uh, Danielle got to see uh, Pete Buttigieg and Catherine Hayhoe, got a picture. Kevin was very jealous because um, <laughs> I did not get a picture with Catherine Hayhoe. But anyways. They were amazing, by the way, and if you go and listen to their talk from the U.S. Center, I highly recommend that you do so because they spoke for quite a long time about their faith and how their faith as followers of Jesus, right, really, it is because they are Christian that they care about this so much. It's really incredible. There were some regular voices, of course, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi was there, David Attenborough, Barack Obama, and then, of course, John Kerry. Um, but what was really, what is incredible, Danielle already alluded to it, 
are all the uh, other voices that, again, are not necessarily the prominent ones. And at COP, they get the stage. And this is really, really critically important because what climate change is doing, and at least what the UN's response is, and I think I, I trust that this is in good faith, is this is leveling the playing field. Everybody's voice is really critical and necessary because... If every single country in the world eliminated carbon pollution except one country, we're still in trouble. This truly is a global problem, and we globally need to work at it together. And especially for countries that are developing, there's a huge question mark. Because part of the reason why the United States and China and the UK and the EU got to the place of flourishing and economic prosperity is through the use of fossil fuels... And so now developing nations are saying, well, why can't we now do the same? Um, and so there's this huge conversation about um, mitigation and how to rethink development in the developing world. Because if developing nations do the same kind of development that developed nations have done using fossil fuels, then we're, we exponentialize the problem um, so anyway, that's this is really really. But there important. has to be massive economic it's, incentive for them to skip over the fossil fuel age right. and go straight to clean energy, and that is going to require an incredible amount of financial investment from rich countries into less economically advantaged countries. Yeah. And Jesse Young, the advisor to John Kerry, said. You know, we're asking for $11 billion a year to be able to do that and to be able to help with adaptation, loss and damage, mitigation, et cetera. And he said to put that into context, when Bush was president and he put into in PEPFAR for the HIV AIDS crisis, that was like $4 billion or like, wait, a handful, like $4 billion over several years. They're asking for $11 billion a year. But he said that's what it's going to take. So that's a lot of money. And U.S. taxpayers, we don't like to do foreign aid. And we don't want to do that much, right, if we're going to do anything. But that's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take to save lives. For, for those of you who are in the book club, uh, I'll mention that in a little bit. But if you want to next, the next book, I read uh, Vanessa Nakate's book, A Bigger Picture, which brings an African voice to the conversation so critically important because she not only brings in multinationalism, so she's uh, from Uganda, and so she brings her experience there, but she also brings in racism and genderism, all that stuff into the conversation too. She was actually at a climate conference in, at uh, Davos, uh, a conversation, and the Associated Press uh, cropped her out of the picture. She was the only black uh, person there, and she got cropped out of the picture, became national news. All of these things are intertwined. As to, And she talks about this in her book, about you didn't just crop out me out of the picture, you cropped out an entire continent um, out of the conversation, which is part of the... the pro it's, it's an amazing book, so, so read yeah, that and check that out. Just go back one slide. Oh, one more. I just want to acknowledge the fact that there is a significant discussion and debate about their... Um, the centering of these indigenous voices being tokenism. That the UN isn't really taking account of what the voices are saying. This is sort of like, well, we're supposed, this is what makes it look good, right? 
I think that there's some important conversation to be had there, and I wouldn't deny that that's a possibility or that there's part of that happening. Um, I also th am really glad that they were there and that they spoke. Um, and when people, when the minister from Tuvalu spoke, and it was deeply moving, and this, this is um, what was happening back in Tuvalu while they were, the other people were also present. But when he spoke... Um, he got a standing ovation in the room. And he went, I mean, and it was a tearjerker. And at the, the last 20, the last 24 hours of COP, like it didn't end when it was supposed to end and it goes longer and all these other things happen. Um, that was when India and China demanded the, that we would not phase out coal and fossil fuels, but instead phase down. And... Alok Sharma um, apologized. Who's Alok Sharma? Sorry, he is the president of the COP for the Sierra in the UK. And he started crying as he apologized to Marshall Islands, to Tuvalu, to, because he knows that this means massive suffering. Um, and it was not as much as they had wanted to achieve. So there's, pro there's a challenge, but I also think that the voices were, that, that it did matter. It did matter that, they, yeah. that those voices it's were huge. there. Yeah. Danielle mentioned the credibility gap, which is very real regarding the United States. So the U.S. had a, a pretty significant presence there. And again, given, given all of this, that is very important. Um, some really good news. Uh, there was a surprise announcement between the U.S. and China uh, regarding a joint uh, declaration enhancing their climate goals. Um, that was unexpected, but uh, fantastic news because it's the U.S. and China who are the two greatest emitters of... Uh, Especially because of China did not attend... The cop in person, they did not send. They had very small, small station in the pavilion there because of COVID, et cetera. They did not come. And that negotiation has been going on since April. So I think sometimes, too, there's a lot of pressure for the cop to be the place where every decision can be made and it can be the solution for everything. But it is a conversation in the middle of the entire year. Um, there are lots of other events and conversations going on. And I think that the more Catherine Hayhoe says... Everyone can be a climate activist. All you have to do is talk about it uh, in whatever influence you have. Um, that The more conversation that we're having, the better off it will be as we continue to move forward. These, these conversations are happening all the time. I thought I'd bring something a little bit closer to home. Um, some of you have heard that H.R. Uh, 3684 got passed, uh, the infrastructure bill. What, why does that matter? Well, climate has been... Uh, a key element of some of the administration's um, bills advancing. This particular bill now is going to give California enough money to electrify Caltrain. So some of that's going to come close to home. So that's pretty fun and interesting. And actually, Pete Buttigieg talked about this because he's the head of transportation. He said when people think about transportation, they don't necessarily think, oh, that's a climate bill. He's like, but it is, right? Because if you are able to better put in city planning, Perfect infrastructure, timing. et cetera, Caltrain, um, then you are reducing <laughs> fossil fuel emissions, right? Um, so he talks about that. There's actually quite a lot of climate um, mitigation and legislation in this particular bill. If it goes to Senate, and it, when it goes to Senate, if it passes, it will be the most significant climate action that's been taken from a federal perspective. Um, that being said, 
also, I don't know if you, you did, did you put in for Bay uh, for Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance? I didn't. So there was another phenomenal, incredible announcement that was a massive surprise during the, the COP, which is that there's been a new alliance created called Beyond Oil and Gas, BOGA. It's the leaders of it are Denmark and Costa Rica, which is really kind of an incredible, beautiful partnership. And signatories onto, this is a commitment to just move beyond entirely oil and gas. Like, this is it. We, these are the signatories on. California has signed on. So we are what, the fifth largest economy in the world. And when California, even though the U.S. has not signed on, California signed on. And when California signs on and shows that we are going to try to achieve the reduction of fossil fuels and then the end of fossil fuels by X, Y, and Z date, when we try to do these different things with even Silicon Valley, and we demonstrate that you can do it while still being economically not just viable but successful, that is a signal for the rest of the world to get on board. So while there are significant disappointments at the COP, for sure, that globally things were not as agreed to and advanced as much as we would like them to be um, in terms of trying to really reduce the warming of our planet. There's also significant hope to be found in local efforts. So the state of California signing on, the, the mayor of London, and London I think is like the ninth largest polluter in the world, like the city of London has like ninth largest pollution, it's horrible. Um, they are trying to make significant, so just even local efforts make a big deal and a difference. I know that we have that in Palo Alto, in Mountain View, in East Palo Alto. There's um, climate resilient communities organizations in East Palo Alto that are working on trying to help East Palo Altans and other communities that are um, maybe, they would be the most to benefit from having an electric car, but aren't able to do so right away. Um, there are legislations being put into place uh, by our own Josh Becker, our California State Senator, and others to be able to start bringing those solutions into the communities that are most in need of them. Um, so there's a lot of work we can do locally that will make a big difference um, for our, even just our local communities. All right, we need to bring yep. this to a close. I wanted to show you this picture here really quickly. This is the David Attenborough Nature Preserve. We, that we got to go to. Uh, we're big fans. We're big fans of David Attenborough. Phoebe and I love watching all the, the David Attenborough BBC videos on Netflix and stuff. And getting Kevin does do it. a good impression. Yeah. He's... No, I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what, do, what do you see in this picture? It's so pretty. Sunset, well. Yeah. What else do you see? Water. What else do you see? What else do you see? What is that? Keep going. Keep going. It's a coal-fired energy plant right behind the David Attenborough Center. Do it bigger. And as we drove out of the David Attenborough Center, we drove right by one of the major coal energy plants in the UK. That, to me, was an image and a picture of exactly how I feel in this moment. That there are amazing local national efforts, like the David Attenborough Nature Preserve, where there's an awareness of how important our ecology is to our health and our survival, to our global economy, if you want to just talk in pure economic terms. 
And at the same time, we're doing something also quite insane. Well, actually, and Senator Kerry said this on the floor at the UN. I don't know if you were able to hear anything we said, but uh, we were sitting and listening to him. He said, knowing what we know now about fossil fuel, to continue to invest in fossil fuel is the definition of insanity. And and right after that, the um, head of Tuvalu spoke and said, thank you. Right, like this is the definition of insanity going forward. But for those of you who are in the Saving Us Catherine Hayhoe Book Club, you know that hope is our weapon to believe that everything is available to us. And so there's this phrase um, by Michael McMahon, urgency and agency. Things are very urgent. We got to get moving. But all of us have agency, and there's these moments of hope. And I just wanted to share with you a couple of these glimpses of hope. We were walking through London, and there's this company there that advertised 100% recycled material. The entire product line is being sourced by recycled materials. We walked further down, and we saw this um, storefront called Choose Love. That's the store. So we walk in, and we're like, what is this? And it happens to be a store where you go and purchase goods and services for refugees, for people who have been affected by it. And so you can go in and you can buy a care packet. You can buy a reunion kit. And so you actually make the purchase and you provide this. And we're like... And there was a climate change one, actually. There was one to be able to offset the impacts of climate change for the refugees. Because the refugee crisis is much often fueled by climate change and disasters. Now, if you know this, but the Syrian war, a primary contributing factor to the war in Syria that has resulted in the continued still massive chaos and a massive displacement of Syrians around the world, the primary cause of that was a drought. And then we needed ice cream. So we went and bought some ice cream. And I had no idea what this was until I turned the carton. Britain's first carbon negative ice cream. So somehow that particular company has decided to go carbon negative or carbon neutral in their manufacturing and their development of all of their products. So these are... These are examples of ways in which people are now understanding how urgent. That's one of the things that I took away from the COP this year is that there is a greater sense and a much wider sense that this is serious. Scientists have been banging on this for years, and now a much broader uh, scope of the population. This was also one of my favorite moments of hope this year. Um, For those of you who weren't a part of this, you can still buy the book and we can still do the book club again if you want. But in this book club, I got to hear spark stories of people who maybe weren't as concerned that became concerned, that started making lifestyle changes and choices, that started having conversations with other friends and family, that started becoming more aware and saved huge amounts of money on their gas bill, Tom, as a result of now becoming aware of how we're using our energy. Sorry to call you out publicly. I'll strike that from the record. You can talk to me later about somebody in this church. Anyway, um, so thank you to all of you who are part of the book club for participating. That was just an incredible experience for me. Gave me a lot of hope and energized me and inspired me. And what made me, again, so grateful that I'm a part of a community that takes this seriously and that actually cares. So in very short, some, again, we could talk about this for a long time. 
Keep talking about it. Keep asking questions. Keep reading. You want a book recommendation? Just ask me. For those of you who know, I've got 50 of them ready for you, depending upon which but direction you want to go. But Saving Us is the best one, right? Start, start with Saving Us, um, A Bigger Picture by Vanessa Nakate. If you want to know about solutions, there's Drawdown by Paul Hawken. There's some amazing resources out there. You can actually right now begin to make lifestyle uh, changes. I won't call these, this family out, but I'm having another conversation with another Spark family about the meat that we eat because cows are a part of the methane um, emissions. But there's a company right here in the Bay Area that has done regenerative agriculture, and they sell meat. It's carbon neutral meat. I'm like, I'm having a ribeye again. Like, I, I can actually go back and have steak again. Well, and- um, and just even a couple weeks ago in the San Francisco Chronicle, there was a dairy, there's a dairy farm locally that by just giving their cows a tiny little bit of seaweed, reduced the methane output by over 50% of their cows. And by the way, that's one of the good news too. There was a massive methane pledge that happened where if we tackle methane, that will make a significant dent in the, in the warming that's happening. And that happened as a result of the Biden administration and I don't know, over 100 countries have signed on so far. So that is incredible and and good work being done there. Can I just say, the last bit that we did not show but was a highlight, I think, for all of us was the march. We all went and participated in the global climate march the first Saturday we were there. And it was 100,000 people. It was unbelievable. And... Years ago, I don't know if you know this about this, but like I'm the one that will go and like be loud and stand on the corner and have the big signs stuff like that. And Kevin's like, I'm going to read a book about it and I'll blog and that'll be what happened. But, but several years ago, Kevin was so compelled about this issue particularly that you went to a Future for Fridays, Fridays for Future protest. And you went over there and you came back and you were like, yeah, I'm still going to like read the book and blog about it. But, but the fact that you went to that con, I still think it's, actual, it's actually in this case, Kevin's activism that has pushed and moved me as a result, of course, at landing on our doorsteps and the own, my, my own family's um, traumatic experiences with the fires being very close. But it's his activism for years now that's pushed me to a better awareness of what we can do and feeling less um, uh, powerless about what's happening and how we can make a difference. So when we were there and we saw over 100,000 people marching and the type of energy that was there for the march was so joyful and hopeful and frustrated and angry, but mostly there was dancing and there were drums and there were songs and like... Well, I think I didn't put it... Because you guys saw the video from right. two weeks ago, right? right. Okay, so I put but, it in there. But it so. went on for like two hours. I mean, you saw... You put in like the tiniest clip, but it was just incredible and creative. And every day when I would go to the UN, to the COP portion, you would walk in and those same energized protesters would be out front. Still singing songs, still mar- still hitting their drums. One guy in a Darth Vader outfit with a karaoke machine, just taking every 80s song and doing a parody and finding rhymes for Biosphere. It was, in- it was in- very inspirational. I was like, <laughs> he looks like a guy that would work in any sort of Silicon Valley data kind of computer office. And I kept thinking of his family going, are you ready to storm the castle? I was like, yep. Like Darth Vader costume, check. Karaoke machine, check. Got my signs, rhymes with, and he was like, 
don't you forget about these. Like he's seriously saying every day for two weeks. <laughs> and, um, and people sat there and even in the cop, there were protests that you could, you could apply to do a protest 24 hours in advance. And people of faith orchestrated very peaceful but very powerful protests inside the UN. I was so hopeful, even though there's a lot of disappointment and I felt like there was a lot of running around and then not being able to go in certain rooms that you wanted to get into and a lot of feeling like excluded or like a bit overwhelmed, like, why? I'm a pastor, nobody cares what I think. (laughs) Why am I at this UN conference and summit? Um, But the people that we met along the way who cared so desperately and deeply about this, um, the voices that we heard that we couldn't have heard any other way, that's where the hope came from and the energy that was there. And coming back, I've already had invitations from four, from Eitz Chaim, from Kolomet, from Betham, from Multi-Faith Voices, Peace and Justice, from schools, and from other churches where people want us just to come and share about this. So thank you for sending us, because the conversations are moving forward. And in the UK, there are some significant movements called eco-church, eco-synagogue, eco-Sunday, those types of things. Here at Eitz Chaim, they've been committed to this for a long time, and they've been going to zero waste, and you see the electric car charges out front and solar panels on the roof. You all are part of a congregation and at a building that cares about this, and we'll continue to find ways in which we can make lifestyle changes individually and then as a community and as cities and towns, and also to best um, make resilient communities because this is going to be with us for a long time. So as the next fire season comes, can we help make resilient communities that can keep their children safe and keep one another safe as we continue to move forward? So thank you for your work on that, um, and we'll continue to learn. The only last thing I wanted to ask all of you, one of the things is to invite communities to participate. The United States is the number one emitter of carbon emissions in the world, and the United States also has an incredible credibility gap as well as as a a belief gap, all right? The, The... the political and ideological divides in our country are significant. I don't need to tell you that. So um, it is our hope that the investment that we've made by participating in this experience would then extend to a wider audience beyond Spark. Daniel's already been in conversation with multiple, multiple other religious institutions and, and uh, communities in our area, and we know that some of you have those connections as well. So it is our hope that through loving invitation and curiosity and mutual respect that we can invite others to the conversation. And here's what I've been saying. I really don't care if Spark's name is on it. We don't care about um, us driving it. We care that other people get engaged however they feel so led to be engaged. And we know that many of you are connected to those communities so as you have those conversations and maybe start book clubs from other congregations that you've come from or are still connected with, et cetera, um, we hope that we'll continue to spur the movement on and spur the conversations on. If- or schools or businesses or corporations or all of the places yep. where we have uh, places of influence where we can start making a difference in that. Like I know the city of Mountain View just passed an ordinance that said restaurants can't use plastic containers after 2023, right? I mean, 
Plastic's the new oil, and if you care at all about the environment, then we have to care about the plastic that we use, right? So making all of those different influences. And I, I connected with somebody who is the head of creation care for the World Evangelical Alliance. It's like a global organization. And he emailed me just today and is ready to start trying to figure out if we can just have a regional conference here in Silicon Valley on how we can really mobilize for making this change. And um, Josh Becker, our local uh, state California state senator, we're, I'm meeting with him, and he is a force to be reckoned with regarding climate. So I think that there's a lot of things we will be able to do as we move forward. And if you're interested in that, uh, we don't want it to be a Danielle and Kevin thing. We're, we'd like to learn. Um, and there's also um, some local uh, Pacific Islander voices and um, local community voices in East Palo Alto have been doing this for decades. And they've been very aware of this for decades. So we're, just so you know, we don't think we're experts on it. We just want the work to continue to be yep. supported. And we'll be trying to find places to center those voices. So if you have those community leaders that you think they need to be in the room and, and at the table, we would love to be centering that voice and listening to that, um, including anyone here in the room. And, and on the Zoom. And we'll do everything we can to be the bathroom. That's, that's our goal. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Any questions? Sorry, we went way longer than we expected, but as you can tell, we're excited. Any questions? Any? Yeah. Uh, this is like a really niche question, but did we discuss anything about nuclear power? Oh, yeah. The nu nuclear is absolutely discussed. So the answer, the short answer is yes. Okay. So they, they are doing that in, like, the, as like a solution for climate change. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's, there's two problems with nuclear. Obviously, the, the technology is very um, dangerous, but there's new technologies that are possibly coming online, but they're about 10 years down the line, and they're very expensive to construct, but it absolutely is a solution that's on, in, in discussion, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was watching one of the like, years there is a company that's like in the U.S. is taking like waste and is making out of it. Yeah. There is a company out there, I think it's like somewhere like Mid-East. Yeah. That technology is coming online. It's probably a decade away. Yeah. It's good that I Yep. And we, as a California, is trying to pave the way to make all yeah. the other states do exactly the same thing. Yeah. That's what we're pushing so hard for. And that's what we have all of these different laws and these, all these things. It's a good effort yeah. that is saying it's not just us, we care about our whole, yeah. not just our state, but we care about the whole country. Yeah. Thanks, Stace. Any other questions? No? Oh, Tom. Oh. Uh, I don't, this is not to be political. Uh, I saw a lot of people who were Democrats at the Yes. Were there Republicans there as well? Not, not that I know of. I, I'm sure. I, I, I hope As far as so. delegations, official delegations. Um, actually, the part of the congressional delegation, I think the representatives, I think oh. that there were Republicans listed. Nancy Pelosi came with like 21 congressional representatives, and they were not all Democrats. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know yeah. the full list. Yeah. But but you are correct 
that this, can, this issue can appear partisan. However, Catherine Hayhoe, as you know, does such a fantastic job talking about how it's not a partisan issue and how Texas can be a massive leader and the military is a massive leader regarding a lot of innovations um, for clean energy. So I think the, the economics of it are the hope that it will drive it forward. But obviously, um, there is a, there's a lot to do. And, and that's why the group that actually sponsored me, you all kind of, when you go to the Christian uh, Climate Observers Program, you just kind of go under the banner of who, whichever group had extra spots and lets you go in. And so my badge said um, Evangelical Environmental Network. Network, E-N. And, you know, it's an evangelical network in, in the middle of a country. And they are pushing hard on this for the very reason of love God and love your neighbor. With, so I think there's a lot of hope to be had. And the EEN is, was founded and is currently being led by an ex-oil executive. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. What, what was the, is there going to be a resource on the website or something about, uh, you were mentioning about the local church I love that. Uh, we will definitely continue to be putting up all the resources on our website. And that eco-church movement that's in the UK, I'm hoping that that's going to start taking off here. There's a group called, there's a group that's kind of maybe behind it. Um, but Eitz Chaim is very committed to it with Rabbi Chaim here. Um, and there's a couple other climate initiatives also locally. Um, that are religious faith-based and non-faith-based, I think that there's going to be some momentum on this going forward. So, Brandon, if that's something you're passionate about, let's you and I, we can all meet and figure out who wants to start sort of a steering committee and figuring out what's the right partnership for Spark? How do we think through this um, as a church, and how do we empower one another individually? Because I think all of us are saying, I'd like to use less plastic. Is there a way to not have... Where can I refill my shampoo and conditioner bottles rather than buying this stuff that's going to be living for five generations, right? Like, how do I do this? Um, what Did you do solar panels? Did that work for you? I think we're all going to be having these conversations on individual as well as institutional levels. And then just as a pastor, I was joking with Kevin. I'm like, I didn't go to seminary to do this, right? I went to, I like teaching you all about like what the Israelites were doing during the time of Abraham or David and having these conversations where Jesus, you know, all these things. I'd love to go back to those conversations and we will continue to obviously have them all the time. So there's a theological aspect of this to discuss as well. And, and how do we bring this into all of the aspects of our life? Yeah. So we'll continue to be working on that. Pastor Mark. Someone on Zoom is asking, is this video of, is this being recorded, is this being recorded and are we going to be able to show it to your friends and family? Oh. Audio, yes. Video, no. Okay. Audio, yes. Video, no. But, but we will update you as there's additional events, I think, coming. I think it's going to be December 13th, an event here um, at, with eights um, and some others. So coming up that we'll have. And I, I would say that we, 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 this is, I mean, we just landed on Thursday. We're still recovering. So this is a very thrown together presentation, one to give you immediately. Um, it is our hope that we'll be much more organized over the next couple of months to come where we'll maybe very specified educational resources that we maybe can record and make sure they're on the website and, and distributed publicly. And, to and I think and have more formal, like here's a partnership, like we've done for the rescue committee with, you know, refugee work or national bailout, et cetera. There's been other 
people, Christine has been one of the leaders, Stacey Shigaki, Tom and Tammy and others, who've been helping us find those partnerships. This is the beginning um, of the conversation, but we wanted to, we missed you, first of all. I missed you guys a lot. Um, but we also wanted to give you the fresh from the experience thoughts because you guys are family and then go from there. Pamela, I think, had a question. Oh, okay. La- last question, then we'll shut it down. Yeah, my, my question was similar, but I was just wondering when the next COP is and, and what's being done in preparation to that. I, I think I read that maybe it's just a year out. Yeah. Yes. The COP happens every year around the same time. The next place it's going to be held is in Egypt. And the year after that, it's in, it's in Saudi Arabia or the UAE. It's, it's in, both are in the Middle East, which is a really good and interesting and important conversation to continue to have there. Um, however, the big deal, like the big agreements are made every five years. So Glasgow is now, there's Paris... Glasgow, and then there's like sort of a revisitation every single year, and this was part of the rules of the Paris Agreement were settled on in Glasgow, um, and then they'll be meeting those. The, the meetings in between are important, but because it's not a big five one, it might not carry the same, not that it doesn't need to, uh, the same energy. We'll see. Okay, friends, thank you uh, for sticking around for we'll much around. longer than what we anticipated. If you have any further questions, just come ask us. We're very happy to talk about it, as you can see. Uh, say hello to another. If you're able to help clean up a little bit, that'd be great. We love and appreciate you all so much. Have a great night. We'll see you guys next week. Yep.